Well, I want to welcome you to week 11 of the story. We are a third way in to this experience, 31-week series on chronologically journeying through the Word of God. Uh, how many of you are following along with the story with us in the, in the room? So thankful uh, that you're joining us. And I know that there online and over there in Dieball, our folks uh, there at our Dieball campus, so glad you guys are joining us uh, this morning. Let's give Dieball and our locations a great hand this morning. Glad you've joined us here. Really, our vision is to be one church in multiple locations, creating these destinations where anybody can find and follow Jesus, and so thankful you guys have joined us today. We're going to take our worship guide, we're going to open it, and we're going to fill in some blanks in just a few minutes, but I want to jump in to today's message with a little bit of uh, uh, transition moments here. Uh, the, the, the first thought is, is this, and it is, in this story, we've been journeying from creation, we're going to go all the way into Revelation and what's happening now until Jesus comes back. But we've gone from creation to the fall, to the flood, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons, one of his sons with Joseph. Joseph became the deputy pharaoh in Egypt. Uh, eventually, all his other 11 brothers join in. They set up camp in, in Egypt. They become enslaved to Egypt. Uh, then Moses Moses shows up and uh, delivers them through the hand of God. It delivers them out. It's called the Exodus. Delivers them from Egypt. And they go into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. Once the tribes of Israel get into the promised land, they've got battles and, and struggles and famine. And, and their deal is... God said, put me first and me only. Uh, do not put any other gods before me. And, and the Israelites believed, hey, God is number one. But their issue was they wanted some backup plans. They wanted a plan B and a plan C. So when God says, trust me and trust me fully, they're like, we will, God, but... This God over here, this false God named Baal promised us to kind of deal with the weather. Maybe we should give a little offering to Baal too because we really want our crops to be good this year. And God, if you don't show up, maybe Baal will. So they struggled with just having one God. So God brought them into a season where he would bring up, build up, rise up a leader among them that was a judge. And really the word judge is better understood as savior, not just like a gavel, but someone who would come up, rise as a leader, and would lead them into uh, freedom and deliverance. And they would serve God for a while, and then they would tank again. It was this vicious cycle with six different judges. And we get to the final judge, and now the Israelites are starting to say, we don't know if we want just another judge to come and go. Here's what we want. We want a king. We want a king. Give us a king. All the other nations have a king. I mean, didn't you hear that with your kids with fidget spinners a while back? All of our kids have fidget spinners. I want a fidget spinner, mom. You know? And, and, and now they're all like in some junk drawer somewhere. Okay? Because we just had to have them. Well, well, the nation of Israel said, hey, we want a king. Everybody else has a king. All these other nations have a king. Why can't we have a king? And so they took the last judge, Samuel, and they started saying to Samuel, Samuel, we don't want your, your kids to be the judges. We want a king. We want you to choose us a king. And he's like, are you sure? And God's like, are you sure? And God says to Samuel, you know what? We're going to give them what they want. You know, it's a dangerous place to be when God just says, okay. I'll give you what you want. Be careful what you ask for. Be careful what you wish for. See, what God was wanting them to do is say, God, we surrender to you and to you alone. Who, who is better to lead us than God, the God of the universe? But yet they still wanted to be like the other cultures. They wanted their own familiarity. They wanted to choose their own king. And so what happens is now we split Samuel 
uh, splits between he becomes a judge, but now he moves more into the position of prophet. And we separate that leadership position, and there is a, a, a crowning of, an anointing of a king. And Samuel anoints the very first king, the first monarchy of Israel, is King Saul. The Bible says Saul was a Benjamite, and he was so he was from the tribe of Benjamin. That he was the dude. He was the 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 big guy on campus. The Bible says that he was the tallest by far of all the Israelites. He was strikingly handsome. He was strong. He was a warrior, and and basically Samuel chose the biggest, the baddest, the strongest, the tallest. I was third in line, but he was the tallest. And and he said, hey, we're we're going to choose the big and. Saul. Saul organized the armies. Uh, he had a lot of great success, and he followed God as he was anointed by Samuel to be king. But down the road, as, as he was anointed to be king, we, we, we hear this a lot of times with people, um, their, their anointing took them further than their character could keep them. And Saul, he, his anointing took him to be the leader of a mighty army of Israel. But his character didn't keep him where his anointing had taken him because his character got, got messed up. When God said, do not take any spoils of war, do not take this, do not take that, don't, don't bring anything into your own house. Saul disobeyed God and brought stuff into his own house. God noticed that. Then when they were out to, a, to fight another battle, Saul, instead of praying to God and trusting God, he went and found a witch. And he was in this witchcraft stuff. And God said, this is not going to stand, Samuel. Tell him he's done. And so Samuel goes over to the king that had been king for a long time. He says, Saul, you're no longer you're no longer the king. And Saul's like, no, I, I've got to be the king. And Samuel wa- turns to walk away. And Saul, in desperation, grabs his robe. And his robe rips. Samuel's robe rips. And Samuel turns around. And it's almost like a metaphor for the moment. He says, the kingdom is torn from your hands this day. And there's another that's better than you that's going to be anointed. Whoa, what's about to happen? So Saul begs, okay, maybe the anointing's gone, but will you still let me be king? Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy what he's asking for? This should have been a humble moment of surrender and sacrifice to the Lord. But instead, he's like, don't tell anybody, though. Don't tell, the, don't tell the nation. Can I still? So what happens is Saul loses his authority of God. And Samuel goes and finds in the house of Jesse another king. He shows up to Jesse's house, and Jesse has these, uh, the, these, these sons, and he's got the, the oldest one, Eliab, and the very youngest one named David. And, and, and Samuel comes and says, I'm going to anoint one of your boys as the king of Israel. Bring them all in here. So he brings seven of them in the house, and he looks at the first one and says, oh, this must be it. But God speaks in his ear and says, no, 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 no. Last time you looked for the tallest and the strongest and the most handsome, we're not doing it that way. It's go, not yet. Goes to the next guy. Nope, not yet. Next guy, next guy. Gets down to all the boys that are in the living room, and, Jesse, and he says to Jesse and his wife, uh, Samuel says, do you have anybody else? And Jesse and his wife look at each other like, well, I mean, we do. But like, you know, he's a teenage kid, and he's, you know, just likes to play on a harp all day, and, you know, kind of just hangs out with the sheep, you know. His name David. He says, bring David to me. Bring David to me. And sure enough, David comes in and he's, you know, knees like a camel and sunburned nose and tousled hair and dragging a banjo. Hey, did you call for me, Dad? He says, 
Samuel says, whoa, here he is. And he pours oil over David, anointing him as the next king. And I don't know, the Bible doesn't give us any information, but I wonder if David even knew what was going on. His dad and mom are like, just sit there and hold still. He's like, well, who is this strange man pouring over oil over me? And here's what we see take place. Samuel anoints David, and we have an issue here that's about ready to collide like two bullet trains. What we have is we have the public appearance of Saul and the private reality of David. One is still known to everybody as the king, but his anointing has been stripped from him. One, nobody knows. He's just a shepherd boy, yet the anointing of God is on his life for the future. How will these two people collide? What will happen? What is going to take place that shows the nation of Israel that Saul is, is taller than everybody else, but whoa, David is anointed. What's going to happen? How do these forces collide? Well, that's where we find ourselves today in 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'm going to gallop through a lot of scripture today. You can follow in your Bible or you can watch right along here on the screen as I read through this scripture. But this is the story of how these two guys really begin, where we really see the nation identify David as a leader. 1 Samuel 17. Now, Jesse said to his son, David, hey, take this ephah of roasted grain which is, uh, effa means uh, about nine and a half gallons worth, okay? Take this nine and a half gallons of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread. 10 loaves mean um, 10 loaves. And, and <laughs> take, take them for your brothers and hurry to their camp. See, the Israelites and the Philistines were at war and they were camped out and they, and they were at battle and they had been at battle for some time now. And Jesse's saying, go down to the, to the camp and take this stuff. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are, are, are and bring back some assurance from them. There is no Facebook. There is no email. There is no tweets. It is just whatever you can find out, bring it back. Because, man, uh, war is bloody. War is crazy. We want to know what's going on. So early in the morning, D David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out, as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. So as they were getting out, it was the early, but they were getting out of their positions. Ooh, 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 ha, 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 ooh. Getting out to their war cry. Now, you'll notice that right here is the valley in Israel where this, this took place. Uh, artifacts, archaeology has shown us that this is the area where the Israelites would have been on one side and the Philistines on another. And... Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, his usual mockery, his usual mama jokes. Yo, mama's so fat, Israelites. <laughs> and David heard it. And whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, Whew, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. They're saying it, but they're not doing anything about it because it's been lasting for 39 days now. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. Three really cool things. Leadership, a marriage, and no taxes? Are you kidding me? Pretty cool stuff. And here's what happens. David's ears perk up. David asked the men standing near him, whoa, 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 whoa. what will be done? For the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel, 
Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? See, David wasn't just concerned about the battle. He, he was standing up for his God. This wasn't just about your mama jokes from Goliath. This was about the defying of an enemy, uh, defying the name of their God. They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, well, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. Those three things, leader in the army, no, no taxes, marriage to one of Saul's daughters. It, three different times through this story we hear David ask about what is guaranteed for the victor. Now when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger. And he asked David, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave these few sheep in the wilderness? David, ugh. And I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. I just love this sibling rivalry. Now what have I done? Said David, can't I even speak? King James says, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause here? What David said was overheard and reported to Saul. And Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. (laughs) Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not, you're not able to go out against Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. Like, there's no way, dude. There is no way. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from their flock, I went after it. I struck it, rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and struck it and killed it. Lord, who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, will rescue me from the, I wish it said, paw of the Philistine. (laughs) And Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet to his head. And David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried to walking around because he was not used to it. It was too big for him. So he took it off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, Goliath kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was a little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome. It's the way Janet describes me. It's crazy. And he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog? Did you come to me with sticks, you little stick boy? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said. I'm going to give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. The story continues. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him, reaching into his bag, taking out a stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and 
killed him. I want to give you some practical insights from a death match today. Before we do, will you pray with me? The next few moments we have, Lord, speak to our eyes, our ears, our hearts, our minds. Just as we prayed over these little children, God, I pray over us. May we see you for who you are. May we see you in this story. May we respond to it right now in 2018. Please don't let us leave here the same as we were when we came in. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So David is a wee young lad. He hasn't grown into his muscles of manhood yet. And when his dad says, here, take, take these Subway sandwiches and this Cheez-Its over to the army. Go check out what's going on and then report back. David hops in the little Toyota single cab pickup truck. Heads down to the battlefield. And when he gets out, he comes upon a common military practice. And this military practice is where two armies would line up uh, across the valley and one would send their warrior and the other one would send their chief warrior. And they would say, okay, whoever dies, that team, they have to surrender. And they say, okay, let's do it. And so what happened is the, the Philistines were sending Goliath, but the Israelites weren't sending anybody. But in typical fashion, the, both would send someone, they would fight it out, they'd duke it out, somebody would get their throat cut. And then they'd all fight anyway. It was just like, ah, let's just go anyway. It was more enjoyment and just like uh, entertainment than it was truly surrendering to the other army. So Goliath, this gargantuan monstrosity, stepping out from the Philistine army every single day for 40 days. Now, when you think of Monster, when you think of a giant, let, let's not get this into the whole Jack and the Beanstalk category. This is not a fairy tale. He's not 30 foot tall, okay? Uh, he, he's, he is very easily seven or eight feet tall, maybe even nine feet. He is an absolute monster, okay? Like this dude is cray cray. And he steps up. The Bible describes the spear that he could throw. Describes the spear that it was like a, a weaver's rod, which means a real long piece of wood. And on the, the head of the spear, the actual metal piece of the spear, the blade, weighed the same amount as what like a modern day bowling ball would weigh today. So you can imagine picking up a bowling ball off of a, of a large piece of wood, holding it up balanced above your head, and hurling it 50 feet with aim and precision. And that's Goliath. David shows up, Goliath's in his taunts. David's behind the battlefield like, what's going on? He can't see because all the other guys are so much taller than him. He's just a boy. You know, when he's up against all these other military veterans that are in their mid-30s, he looks like just like a kid. He hadn't even grown into his adulthood yet. And Goliath says, send out a champion to face me. <laughs> David is like geeked up. He's like pumped about it. It's like he's sitting ringside to a professional wrestling match, battle, you know, Royal Rumble, negative 422. The rest of the army, though, isn't very excited. In fact, they've been cowering. They're in fear. No one will take on this monster. They look to the next guy. Of course, Saul's the biggest of them all, but he's the king. He's not going to face Goliath. 
They look down the line to the next guy that's the second tallest, and he's like, oh, man, no, I got a uh, rotator cuff kind of situation. I, I would do it. I would totally do it, fellas, but, man, I just, you know, I didn't sleep right on my shoulder. The next guy in line is like, oh, I had chili last night, man. I would be a mess out there. There's no way. There's no way. And in the middle of all this, wee little David says, I'll fight him. I'll fight him. What do I get if I fight him? What do I get? What do I get? What do I get? They say, well, you get the daughter, you get leadership, you get no taxes. He's like, oh, that's kind of all cool. I kind of like that. Let's do this. And news of David's inquiry reaches his older brother, Eliab. Eliab's been in the military for some time. He's the oldest. David is the youngest. There's eight of them all together. And there's, there's at least 10 years apart from Eliab to the youngest, the youngest, you know, the favorite. You, come on, you guys know. You know how it is. No, I'm kidding. And Eliab is somewhere in some tent playing a game at Texas Hold'em, waiting for this, this uh, whole deal to kind of blow off because it's been 40 days and nothing has happened yet. Another guy walks in, takes a drink from a canteen and says, Eliab, isn't that your brother out there, little David? He came here with some Subway sandwiches. He's talking smack out there. He's talking about how he's going to go beat that little Goliath down and all this stuff. <laughs> you better, better go get your little bro, bro, because he's kind of making a fool of himself. And the Bible said that Eliab's ticked off. He burns with anger against his brother. No, 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 no. Um, I, I can see Eliab's frustration, okay? You, you got to give him a little bit of a break. Younger brothers can be frustrating. Anybody be a witness to that, you know? So I see Eliab back as, he's, as he pulls the tent flat open. He's going to find David. He's thinking through different scenarios that have gone on. Eliab thinks back to when he's in high school. He gets home from football practice, and he shows up to his room, and, and David's jumping on his bed, been playing his drums, broke one of his drumsticks. You dork, get out of my room. I told you not to be in my room. You guys remember the old Home Alone movie with, with Kevin, uh, Kevin McAllister, Macaulay called Kevin McAllister, and his older brother Buzz. And Buzz's like, get out of my room, Kevin. <laughs> David is Kevin. That's it. David is Kevin. He's playing in the room. I can just see Eliab remembering one supper where all the boys are there, and mom and dad, they're waiting. And mom says, no, 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 we don't eat until all of us are here. David knows his time. We rang the triangle. He's coming. We told him, come and get it. It takes him a while. He's out there with the sheep. You be nice to David. David is a good boy. Like, oh, he's always late, mom. He never respects us. He's always talking smack. He's always got these big old fabricated stories he's telling everybody. And here comes David. Everybody's waiting at the dinner table. He comes in, like I said, dragging his guitar. And he shows up. And they say, well, it's about time. He sits down and says, sorry, guys. It was a crazy day. You'll never believe what happened. And Eliab rolls his eyes and you know, nudges his second oldest brother. Tell us, David, what happened today. You'll never believe it. A bear came out, attacked one of my sheep. I named that sheep Tyler. Tyler got attacked. <laughs> and I, do you know what I did? Do you know what I did? I grabbed, I grabbed that sheep out of his mouth, and I beat that little bear up. I beat that bear. I grabbed that bear by his hair. Grabbed a bear by his hair, and I beat that bear into submission. Killed that bear with my hands. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that a crazy story, guys? And Eliab's like, spank his butt. 
He's a, li- he's a lion kid. And you're going to let, if I were, li- I'm the oldest. If I came in, dad, Jesse, dad, if I came in and I lied like that, you know you'd have me grounded. You'd be saying, go to your room. We're not going to lie like that in this house. He's all lying. And his dad's like, you know, after eight, he's like, whatever. It's like the kids, you know, when you first have a baby, you like sterilize the pacifier every single time it drops to the ground or whatever. But then by the third kid, it's like, just put it in right back in. You know how it is, parents. You're like, ah, he's fine. He's fine. I can just see his dad saying, I can just see his dad saying, hey, Next time you kill something big, make sure you cut off his head so there's proof. Because if you got no proof, it really didn't happen. And David says, okay, sounds good. That's noted. We'll see what happens. So Eliab shows up to David and grabs him by the ear and pulls him away from all the rest of the, the army crowd that's gathered to watch this little shepherd boy talk a big game. And he says, you can see the little brat. In fact, the King James Version says, you, I know the naughtiness of your heart. You're a naughty boy, you naughty little brat kid brother. What are you doing in here? Go home. And David says, is there not a cause? Why are we all standing here shaking in our boots, basically? See, everybody else was afraid. But David had this courage in him that was, wasn't just courage fueled by fear. Like, you can put an, an M16 in an 18-year-old's hands and put him in, the, in, in enemy fire. And courage fueled by fear, he's going to have to run. He's got no choice. you got to be courageous or you'll die. But then there's also courage that's fueled by faith. And there was something inside this young teenage boy that says, God's got this. God can do this. Man, we, this, is, this is nothing for God. How dare he talk about how big our God is? And they were all concerned about the bigness of the giant. They forgot about the bigness of their God. Every other soldier was saying, oh, he is too big to beat. And David's sitting there saying, what? He is too big to miss. <laughs> so with the okay from King Saul... No sword, no shield. He's a skinny little child. He walks out on the battlefield and he begins to do his own mocking. He begins to do his own mocking. Goliath pounds his chest and stomps his monstrous feet. Little boy, come here. I'm going to give you a spanking with my belt. David's in the brook picking up stones and he pats his little sandals in the water. says, oh, yo mama. The giant just lunges forward towards David in full speed. And David calmly sets the stone in the, in the sling. And, and as he's beginning to run, everybody's watching. And it's going for one of David's younger bro, older brothers passes out on the sidelines. Oh, David. Oh. Goliath is barreling down on him like a lion to a gazelle, raises that spear, lets out a... David steps back in his stance. (laughs) And as Goliath is picking up speed and about ready to strike, David, in a a flicker, just like a... Just a flicker of energy... He fires that stone like a bullet through the air. 
And that stone smacks Goliath straight in the middle of the eyes. And that elephant rhino size of a man comes crashing down face first into the dust with an abrupt stop. And both camps grow silent. Everyone is stunned. There's no clear evidence that that Goliath is dead. But then David walks up to the giant. Puts his little foot on the giant's back. And he takes the sword, Goliath's own sword, out of his sheath. Everybody's watching. David's brother wakes back up from passing out. Sees him with the sword. He's like, oh. (laughs) David takes that sword. And I mean with one And both camps go, (laughs) David grabs that head and pulls it, Goliath's head up. And David goes, ah! And Goliath's face is like, ah! (laughs) And it is a moment of huge empowerment. The Hebrew army rallies their war cry once again, ha, let's go. And it's a turning point as they surge forward, they push the Philistine opposition back into their own territory, the Bible says, even all the way back to the capital city of Gath. And it's a turning point in Saul's rebellion against the Philistine opposition, and it is the pivot point now in David's own destiny. Because the private reality of David's anointing and the public appearance of an unanointed king collide. And after they come back, and we'll talk more about this next week, as he comes back off the battlefield, as he enters into the the nation of Israel, into one of those Hebrew cities, everybody's singing, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. Saul has slain his thousands. And all of a sudden, there's this, there's this tension between a king who is willing to give him his own armor and a king who's being uh, one-upped by this young boy And he already knows his kingdom has been torn from him. We'll talk about more of how David deals with the good, the bad, and the ugly. This is a mountaintop moment. But David also deals with the valleys, and we'll find out about that next week. But before we get into next week, let's finish up with these notes that you have in your hands. Write these blanks down. These are just some practical insights from a death match. Number one, make the choice to follow the right voice. We see all through this story that there were naysayers in David's life. His own dad didn't even want to bring him to the table to even be considered to be anointed as king. Wasn't even going to bring him to the party. There was a culture standing idle by on the battlefield that was saying, no, 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 this can't be done. There was an older brother saying, what are, you, what are you thinking? And there comes a time when God anoints you, speaks something into your life, challenges you to step out, and there's going to be naysayers. Huh, I've seen you do this before. 
Ah, whatever, you're going to be back to whatever. I know you say you're quitting, but you're not going to quit. You're still going to be back. Oh, I, I, I know you talk a big game, you getting your family back in church, dedicating your children to the Lord, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I've seen that a hundred times. You'll be down again. Just wait, just give it time. Ignore the naysayers. Ignore them. Follow the right voice, but it's a choice. God has a voice for you to speak to you. To, to, to give you guidance. His word is God breathed. His voice to you is the word of God. But he also speaks to you in promptings of the Holy Spirit. Make the choice to follow the right voice. I wonder how many people have followed the wrong voices and now they're dealing with the consequences because they followed the wrong voice into the wrong place. I've been there. I've been guilty. Follow the right voice. Number two, another lesson we learned. See the opportunity when others only see the opposition. Can I say this? God wants to do what only he can do, but he's looking for a partnership with you. It is, it is God who parts the Red Sea, but Moses stretches out the staff. It is, it is God who, who puts the, the spirit of Jesus in a, in, a, in, in a womb, but it is Mary who offers that womb to her. There is a partnership between the divine and dirt. We see it in the garden where God breathes into dirt and creates us. There's always a partnership between the divine of God and the dirt of us. And we see it in this story with David and Goliath where, yes, it was David and a stone and a sling, but it was God with the trajectory. It was God with the courage. It was God with the opportunity. You've got to see the opportunity beyond the opposition. Many times, people, people see the opportunity to get debt-free, but the opposition is they're going to have to change a, a, a living style, a style of how they live. Uh, there's people that have the, they, they want the opportunity to have a better marriage, but the opposition is, yeah, but I'm just not willing to hold my tongue. I'm not willing to be slow to speak, slow to become angry. I just am so quick to get angry. I'm not very quick to listen. You have the opportunity, but then it's the opposition of that self that rears its ugly head. What kind of opportunity, everybody, sits ready for you just beyond the opposition? The opportunity is just beyond having to say no, having to say yes, having to, to, to think different, having to surrender that to God and stop trying to do it on your own strength. You got to see the opportunity just like David, he saw the opportunity. Man, I'm going to get to marry one of Saul's daughters. Whew, I wonder which one. They're all kind of good looking. He saw the opportunity, and he pushed past the opposition. And it was a game changer for his life. Number three, see the long-term reward beyond the short-term risk. You know, we see this in Jesus. Jesus could see the long-term reward for becoming the ultimate sacrifice for humanity. But the short-term risk was going to be hell on earth, excruciating pain, being mocked, being beaten, being crucified. He saw it. He could understand it. He knew it. But he saw the opportunity through the opposition. He saw the reward through the short-term risk. Everything that's worth working for is going to be an uphill battle. you got to risk some stuff. Number four, see the solution in what you have. Instead of spending time complaining about what you lack, 
David did not complain that he didn't have drone coverage or the right kind of heavy artillery or a tank. He didn't complain about, well, I don't have armor that fits me right. But as soon as, as soon as I get a helmet that fits me in the right way, man, I'm your man. And I have heard people, they, they, they complain about what they don't have more than understanding what they do have. And, you know, the whole scripture says it like this. If God be for us, who can be against us? And you got to see the solution, what you have, instead of complaining about what you lack. I just, I, you know, I'm just, a, I'm a single parent and it's really hard. Man, I don't know what that feels like, but I know that's tough. But you know what? You are never alone. Jesus is with you. Don't see what you don't have, see what you do have. Find the solution in, in being a part of a community of believers that will meet you where you are. We're coming to an end of a season of our small groups. And that's community right there. Connection helps the big church get smaller. I want to tell you, like, if you're not in a group, you're missing out on a great opportunity to be connected. We're going to have a season of rest. I believe it's my responsibility as a pastor to help us, help us learn how to live in some margin. And I believe your calendar is crazy off balance, most of you. Let me preach. It's crazy off. Because you know what? My calendar's crazy off. I need some margin in my life. And we gotta, we, we gotta even have margin in our church calendar too so that we can just, just rest. So we can gear up for what's next. So we don't have any groups meeting. The only thing we're doing in May is marriage month. And maybe you, you need to stop complaining about what you don't have in your marriage and find the solution in what God's wanting to do in your marriage right now where it is. I invite you to be a part of what God is doing here at Timber Creek, but also what he wants to do in your marriage. Every Wednesday night, 7 p.m., we have a guest speaker who's going to do a, a small seminar for us one week. We're going to do a fun dating deal. Jan and I are going to talk about our last fight. Oh, my gosh. And that was like this morning. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm not kidding. See the solution to what you have, and here's what you have. You have the king of the universe in your corner. You have the son of the living God that sees you right where you are and invites you to not fight on your own strength, but in his strength. And finally, number five, number five, you have to see yourself in the right sandals. And when we share this story, the whole David and Goliath story, I think of, I, I think of uh, imagining myself, what would it be like to face the giant? Who are you in the story? When you think of the story, who are you? Hopefully you're not Saul, you know, stepping back, coward, you know, a coward, fearful. I don't know if you're Eliab and you've been thinking about other people. You've been, been focused on what other people don't have instead of focusing on the battle. Here's where I know we like to sit. We like to sit and stand in the sandals of David. I mean, oh, I'm going to face that giant. I mean, we have created theology on all of that, you know, where, where we're going to face the enemy. Bless God, we're going to put him one right through the eyes. Devil, you're defeated. I'm going to sling. I'm going to raise my slingshot. Shoom! Gotcha, devil. I'm after you. But you're not David in the story. We like to put ourselves in David's sandals, but can I tell you who we really are? Can I, can, listen, a couple weeks ago, I said it like this. The Old Testament shouts the story of Jesus. 
So it's in this story, it's not that we really see ourselves, it's that we see Jesus. But here's where we are. Do you know who we are? We're the Israelites on the sidelines. And in our best day, we don't have what it takes. But Jesus fights our battles for us. In fact, the victory is ours, but the battle is the Lord's. Jesus is the David that conquers the enemy. Jesus is the David that goes before us, and because of his conquering death, hell, and the grave, he helps us surge forward to what's next, following his lead. He gives us the strength to stop shaking in our sandals, to move forward and trust him and surrender fully to him. And for you and for me, let Jesus be Jesus. Follow him, trust him. As you give every big obstacle and giant to him, he handles it all. But he wants you to partner with him in the process. Would you pray with me this morning? Heads bowed here and there in Dieball. I'm going to ask one of our team to join me up front. With your eyes closed and your heads bowed, there's two things we want to pray for today. The first, we always pray for it because I believe it is of absolute importance, of paramount importance, that every one of us in these locations get the opportunity to respond to the love and grace and sacrifice of Jesus. And if you're here today and you've been facing some battles and maybe you feel like you're all alone, I want you to know that you're never alone. Jesus can be the center of your life, the Savior of your life, the Lord of your life. You don't have to get your life right to find Jesus. He finds you, and then he helps you straighten that life. If you're here, you say, Pastor, I'm ready to surrender to Jesus. I've been trying to kind of fight my own battles, do my own thing, have my own war cries. I'm, I'm ready to put it in the hands of Jesus. My life, my family, my marriage, I, I surrender to him today. Pastor, would you help me pray that today? If that's you, you say, yeah, Pastor, help me pray that today. I want to put Jesus in the center of my life. Right where you are, just put a hand straight up in the air. I need to put Jesus in the center of my life today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Just put a hand right up. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Yeah, you can put your hands down. Yeah. Jesus, thank you for those that raised their hands. Just in the next few moments, you just, in your own words, friends, just... You can say it like this, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me, for fighting my battles for me, for never leaving me or forsaking me, for showing me 7,000 promises in the Bible of how you come through in my life as I surrender to you. I can't try and be my God in my life and you be God in my life. You will not be second place and I can't be my own God. So I relinquish control of my throne and I give you control, Lord, of my heart, of my life, guide me and direct me. I surrender to you in Jesus' name. Now, with eyes bowed and or eyes closed and heads still bowed, if you're here and you're in a battle, maybe it's a marriage deal, it's a hidden deal, it's a secret deal, it's a money deal, it's a relational deal, it's an emotional deal, whatever, it's a battle. And man, you, you're up against a giant here. that's you, would you just put a hand up in the air? I want to pray for you and encourage you today. Yeah, thank you. Me too. 
Me too. You can put your hands down. Let me encourage you before we pray. Place it in the hands of God. Place it in the hands of God. Jesus, we thank you that your hands are quick to heal. Your your hands are quick to guide. Your hands can correct. God, your hands discipline. But your hands are loving hands that show us the way. Thank you for fighting our battles for us. Lord, the battles that these men and women are up against. God, I know there's tragedy that people are dealing with. There's a battle in their mind, battle in their family, battle in their heart, battle in their private life. God, we surrender to you. Would you give us the strength? No one can defy you. And God, we lean into your grace and your mercy. We lean into your spirit guiding us every day. Just because we put it in your hands doesn't mean that we don't have to say no to some things and we don't have to walk away from some stuff and we don't have to step up and be that man of God or woman of God. But Lord, when we rely on your strength and not our own, we're never forsaken. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.